This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Stillbirth Foundation Australia and Community Care Kitchen. The content shared in this podcast represents the views of the Still Nest and our guests and may not specifically reflect the views of these organisations. Please seek professional medical advice for any clinical circumstances that may arise. Welcome to the Stillness Podcast, a place of solace for bereaved parents and their communities. I'm Dr. Fatima El Assad, a researcher and a bereaved parent. Losing a child can make you question everything your identity, your faith, and your place in the world. On this show, we will explore the complexities of child loss particularly within culturally and linguistically diverse communities. I'd like to hold space for bereaved parents to be seen, heard and understood. Welcome to the Stillness Podcast. This is part two of Naveen and Ibru's story. If you haven't already, I'd recommend listening to part one. When we left Naveen, she was enjoying a textbook pregnancy after a struggle with infertility and miscarriage. So my husband was about to travel and I had previously not ever felt any anxiety around his travel. This was different. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress around him traveling. Anyway, he did fly out on that Monday and Wednesday. I started feeling really heavy and just completely exhausted. And there was a bit of pain around that sort of lower abdomen. How far in? So I was 24 weeks and three days on the Wednesday. I didn't sleep all night on the Wednesday. I was tossing and turning. And on Thursday, I told a friend, I told my sister who was in Houston at the time, I said, I'm feeling really uneasy and heavy. And she said, look, it's that time of the pregnancy where you might just be feeling heavy, but call your nurse, call your midwife, whoever, you know, and ask them what's going on. And so I did. And they said, look, if it gets, take it easy, stay hydrated, keep your feet up just in case, but keep us posted, call us in a couple of hours again. And I think around 2 p.m., I called them again saying, not feeling okay. You know, it's like the pain comes and goes. I don't know what it is. I'm uncomfortable. And she said to me, monitor for two hours, see how you go, and then give us a call back. And she made me download the contractions, contractions app. And it boggles my mind as to how I did not go on to Google and search for things. You know, she said it could be Braxton Hicks. It could be preterm labor. We don't know. And I sort of just went and I remember I cleared out the top shelf of my cupboard at that point. You know, I was like, oh, what pajamas have I got? And, you know, what T-shirts have I got? And I go back to thinking about this and I was just like, you idiot. How did you not search for something, you know? How did you not pick up on the word preterm labor and freak out? Because by 5 p.m., I could not breathe through my contractions and I did not register to me that these are contractions. And I remember having my husband on the phone finally and he had stepped out of his conference in Budapest and I said to him, I said, time it because I can't time it, and they told me to time it. And he's telling me, call an ambulance, call the hospital. So I said, okay. So I called the hospital, and they're like, 
come in. And I said to them, do I have time to take a shower? She said, do not go to the toilet. Come now. And so I called my friend and I said, I'm going. I'm just going to drive over. And she said, don't drive. I'm coming. So she picked me up. We reached the hospital at around six. And by that time, it was just, it was just intense pressure. And so I went in and I remember this woman came in. She said, Naveen, your baby's coming. And I just, and I was, I can't believe that, you know, it's like when Allah lets, wants someone to be there for you, he truly does create. We call it Sahara in Urdu, um, like a support person or something to lean up against. So my best friend was there at that time and I turned to her and she was already on the phone to my sister, to my mom, to my husband. And I remember her on the phone to him saying, Samad bhai, you need to come home. Bhai means brother in Urdu. And she's just like, you need to get on the plane and you need to come home. And then she got my mom on the phone and my mom, you know, she's, she's saying this dua in my ear or something. And I said to her, I said, mom, I need you. And I am not someone. I'm not someone who cries in front of my parents. You know, I was always a stronger child. So this was on a Thursday at 8. 8.09 p.m. She was born. And I said to Aaron, my friend, I said to her, I said, you've got to go take a photo. Go make sure she's okay. Because, you know, in the movies, when you give birth, there's this perfect little thing that's just placed on your chest that's crying. And you're just like, oh, you know, it's my baby. My husband wasn't with me. My baby had sort of arrived. And in my head, it was just, it wasn't real. And... They took her away and this doctor came back and I thought, thank God for technology, right? Because I hadn't seen her at that point. And because they had asked us, because she was 24 weeks and over, they'd asked us about whether we wanted to make the decision for her to come out of my chest when she was born or if they wanted to intervene. And I couldn't make that decision. My husband got to make the decision for saying yes, you know, do everything you can to save her. So they wheeled her away before I could see her. So I had never seen her when she was born. And he came in with a little live photo of her. So when you can click on the photo and they move, she, was, she screams in that photo. And it was just, it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. And I sort of said to them, uh, we had two names that we were still sort of, hopping in between and I said to them I said Sophia we've named her Sophia she's named Sophia and I was like forget all of this stuff okay I've just done this <laughs> I'm gonna get the final say on what my daughter's called <laughs> and um I didn't have that fuzzy feeling of I've just given birth to my baby because it was all so hidden the face with a fry pan sort of moment and then my friend gives me the phone with my husband on the other line. And he's just like, yay, we've had a baby and everybody's so happy. And I was just like, what is he on? You know, <laughs> what's, what's going on? Because he hadn't seen her. There was just so much hope around what was going to happen. And this hope was communicated back to us when they wheeled me into the NICU. It's the beeping that Ibru talked about as well. 
and these wires. And in the middle of all of this, there was a miniature-sized human being with eyes and ears and hair and a nose and her feet exactly like my husband's feet. <laughs> like, it was so bizarre. And the way she was sleeping with her hand tucked in under her chin is exactly how he sleeps. And, I'll, you know, it was like, uh, oh, my God, it's like a little, she was 691 grams. Um. And she had little plastered on curls on her head just from being damp, I guess. And they said to me, they said the baby diagonally opposite her. He was born at 25 weeks. He's now 32 weeks. And he had these fat pink cheeks and he had fat little pies. And it was like, girls have a better fighting chance in a NICU to survive. Her stats are great. And we had this incredible neonatologist who was just, she was this force to be reckoned with. And so they were like, it was all positivity, you know, she's doing great. Her scans look good. Her brain scans are good. Her heart's good. You stay in the room at the hospital for as long as you need. Her blood work was clear. She had no infections. There was nothing in my tests or in my swabs to say something sinister had caused this to happen you know they were just like it's just one of those things that had happened and one after the other the tests would come back as yeah she's great you know yes she's 24 weeks yes there's a possibility of neurological damage yes there's a possibility that she might be blind but she's healthy she's alive and she apparently pulled out her tube when they first intubated her. And they were just like, no 24-weeker does this. This is great news, you know? And everybody that we speak with would be like, she's a fighter. The nurses would tell me, you know, she's feisty, you know? She would swat away the neonatologist whenever she'd come in for a scan. And I think I've got a photo of her with this and the neonatologist has it printed off in her office with Sophia just sort of pushing the little scanner away with her hand. Um, but when we did speak to her at one point, um, I said to her, I said, what are the chances for me to be able to hold her? But because she was so tiny and so frail, she was in a humidifier crib. And I said to her, I said, whatever happens, whatever, like down the line, two days, 10 days, three months, I don't want to resuscitate because my brother-in-law is a doctor and he'd explained it to me and he said they're gonna ask you about this decision you know and for me the biggest thing was that he is very deeply rooted in Islam so he studied it and so for me his knowledge was my basis you know I trusted him my sister is like an extension to me so her husband is he, 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 it's the brothers, you know? So when he would tell me from supporting my Iman and from a medical perspective, it, it was grounding both me and my husband. So we told them, we said, I need to hold her while she's alive. So you cannot tell me that she has died and then you will give her to me. I need to hold her while she's alive. 
And I hate to admit this, but at some point in one of the nights, I had this dream where I'm standing in in a field where it's brown in the front and I'm wearing a black chadar, so like a big scarf. And it would I was scared that this can happen. In my mind, babies don't die. But there was a fear within. I, I love Subhanallah knows best. But obviously, you know, there was something in there that was just causing me to have these conversations with her. And they came and woke us up uh, on Sunday at around 3 a.m. And they said, we need you to come down. She's not doing well. So by the time we got down from the room to the NICU, when you went down the corridor, the first bed was hers. And there was two sinks just before that. And just when we got to the sinks, they said, we've done it. You know, she's okay. There was pressure in her chest, which we've released. And I remember falling to the floor in sujood because that was my battle, right? That was my that was my big moment in which things were going to go bad. And from here on end, it's going to um it's going to be get better from here. Yeah, so we went in uh we went downstairs, but then they had fixed that problem of her the pressure on her chest. And we sat downstairs for a while. But around 6 a.m., my husband said to me, he said, Naveen, go, go rest. You've been up the whole night. And I said, no, it's fine. Um, and we just sat in the NICU together for a while. And then he, I said, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll just go up for a little while, around 6.30, 7. And I went back up to the room and I'd probably been asleep for 30, 45 minutes at that time when he came and woke me up and and he said it's time they're going to give her to us to hold and so it took me a really long time to think about how he had to make that walk upstairs to tell his wife that his daughter is about to die And so when we got downstairs, the they put this little uh, barrier next to where she used to sit, her crib used to be, and there was a little purple sofa. My God, Ebs, it was purple. That was mine. <laughs> yeah. And they handed her to me on um on this little uh like quilted knit sort of blanket. And she had one eye open. And her hand was sort of popping up from that wrap that she was in. And they gave her to us. And I remember after. We laughed about how big her ears were. <laughs> and, you know, like just there's a photo of her hand around my husband's finger, you know. And then my husband asked the doctor, he said, is there still a heartbeat? And I thought, what a stupid question, you know? It's my baby, of course there's a heartbeat, you know? Mine's beating it how can there not be a heartbeat? But it was so obvious that there wasn't because her color had changed. And so 
8 p.m. on the 27th of May, my baby girl died. And I think I think a massive part of me at that point went away with her that has just it will never come back. She was she was my firstborn. She was my rainbow baby. She was everything that I ever wanted in my entire life. And I prayed so hard for her. You know, I remember, I remember praying for her every single time I prayed. I remember, you know, when you really fall to the ground and seduce and you ask from the core of your heart, that's how I had prayed for her. And then Allah answered my prayers with this baby who is just perfection for me. But it's like he gifted her to me, lent her to me, and took her back. And I am so grateful for my mother's presence because she would always say, Alhamdulillah, even in the hardest of times, say Alhamdulillah. And then my mom asked the nurse there and there was no there was no support in terms of what do we do as muslim parents for our child i had no one to turn to my mom um helped me bathe and shout sophia with the help of our incredible nikunas Naveen, i just i just want to say i'm i'm really sorry that you know you lost sophia and to Ibru as well, I'm, I'm really sorry that you lost Alia, but you really touch on a, a very important point about not knowing what to do. What are, what are the sort of rights that I should be giving my child at this point? How did you navigate the washing and the shrouding? You know, it's quite unusual to be doing that in a hospital. Why, why did that happen for you, Naveen? So because my mother has experience she does she's part of a group that does washing and shrouding um, burial services in Pakistan so she knew how to wash and she knew what was required and because there was no facilities available for us from the hospital with support around this our nurse basically just asked my mom she said what do you need my mom said well there's three pieces of white sheets and she said would a bed sheet work and she literally rocked up with like a stack of white bed sheets and scissors and buckets of water and non-scented shower gels, you know, the little QV, uh, the QVs at the hospital. And she was able, so because my mom, somebody who was from my family, knew what to do in this situation, I was able to bathe my daughter. Alhamdulillah, we were really blessed. Uh, Sophia's funeral services was through Al-Zahra foundation and the person who brought Sophia to the graveyard to Rookwood I'll never forget that he said to me he said he held her in a way that was respectful so he just handed her to me and he said you hold your daughter for as long as you need and I'm gonna sit here and no one can take her away from you until you're ready 
and I don't know, you know, I've heard a lot of bad experiences and I've heard a lot of things about a lot of difficult situations, but to be told that no one's taking her away from me and that there's no rush was the most kind thing that he could have said to me in that moment. And that man is a part of my prayers every time because of the words that he chose to say to me and the respect that he showed. You know, he could have just said, you know, it's a baby. She's going to Jannah anyway. Let's get over with it. You know, chop, chop. I've got another one to do sort of thing. But he showed me that respect, you know, and he referred to me as the mom and he referred to my husband as the dad. It's like his language was just kind. And our, our experience was very different. It was difficult, but both the hospital and our funeral services were just, they were on a different level. We had, my mom was the only family we had here. My mom was the only family that we had here and my friends stood by me and my husband and our friends came forward and my husband's friends helped him into the grave to put his daughter in the grave and pulled him up when he got stuck, you know? So when they tell you that family stands by you, I just, no. I think Ibrus picked me off the floor more times than anyone else I know. After the funeral, both Ibru and Naveen reached out for help. Naveen initially wanted to speak with a Muslim therapist, but found understanding with a professional who specialised in baby loss. I don't know if I was as aware of needing mental health help as a, culturally in Pakistan, everything is very shoved under the carpet. But my mum said to me, she said, remember what's important and that what is important is that you identify what you need and she said turn to Allah and he is the only one who is going to give you sabr but just like how we go to a doctor for medicine despite us praying you need to take care of yourself in every way possible and so we spoke to somebody through red nose who who understood once we spoke to her and we had that session with her and she understood and she used the terminologies that um you know like she took Sophia's name properly she called me a bereaved mum it was just the language that she used that I was so comfortable with we had somebody who was very understanding so when I told her that these are the guidelines around what my faith defines grief and what it means to us. So we received a children of Jannah pack and I gave it to her and I said, this, this is what my religion talks about around grief. There's this misconceived notion of don't cry. A lot of people said to me when Sophia died, don't cry. She's in a better place. And I was just like, what do you mean? You're bonkers, you know? And then when I received this children of Jannah back, I wanted to I wanted to carry it around on me on a placard and say, the prophet cried so much when his son died that his beard was wet. This is the man that Allah says he loves the most in the world, who knew every single trial in his life was because it was for all of the Ummah to come. 
And this man broke when his son was in his arms and he cried so much that his beard was wet. That's a lot of tears. And I said, don't you dare turn around and tell me that me as a weak Muslim mom who has just buried her child cannot cry. And so... So just if I can interject for those who are listening, the Children of Jannah pack that Naveen refers to is a UK-based charity, the only one in the world, actually, that actually services bereaved Muslim parents globally. And in this pack, because I also <laughs> received one, Naveen, it, it is quite illuminating in terms of how much our faith actually really firstly elevates the status of a bereaved parent and also gives you so much permission to grieve and be in flow with the natural human experience of sadness and grief and depression. And it's not seen as something that should be stigmatised or buried under the carpet or pushed aside, you know. It's actually a sign of a heart that can tremble like that is almost, you know, revered in Allah's eyes. So we'll just get back to your experience there, um, Naveen, but I just thought I'd elaborate a little bit on that for a listener who wasn't familiar with that pack. I think going down the path of therapy and accepting that it was help that I needed has helped me to become stronger. I needed somebody who would understand, who would help guide me through the really tough days of not understanding what had happened, of helping me not be broken all of the time and to get through the hard situations of where you smile and nod at an event because everybody around you expects you to be happy in those moments, but you've mastered the art of hiding an extra eye pencil and wipes in your pockets because when you go to the toilet, you are going to cry because there are so many emotions that you've suppressed and that when somebody asks you, how are you doing? You've perfected the face of, I'm okay, alhamdulillah, you know? And as much as you want to believe it, you're not there yet. I don't think therapy helped me as much as my conversations with Ibru helped me because she knew. I remember once saying to her, what could possibly have been the first couple of times that we spoke, that there's this deep, hollow scream that needs to come out of me. And the way she described it back to me was just like, yeah, that one, you know, <laughs> yes, that Let's one. Go. Let's go. <laughs> Naveen and Ibru recently held an event for bereaved Muslim mothers through a community care kitchen in Sydney. I asked if they could share the thinking behind the setup of the event cake decorating at the culinary school, followed by a shared brunch. So we wanted there to be an icebreaker. There was a bit of drama around the icebreaker because we wanted to do possibly games. I, I found or... some great jokes. Great jokes. They were really that dangerous. that we cannot repeat ever Let's again. just say. Yeah, yeah, stay away. The aim was for, for us we had already developed that relationship, right? So we wanted this group of women to come together to do something 
that would not involve a mandatory conversation. So there's nothing forced, uh, which is where the cake decorating came in. So there was somebody who was giving you instructions to do something, but with enough gap to have a conversation with the person who was standing next to you. So create relationships or start conversations one-on-one across or next to you based on how comfortable you are or not have a conversation at all. So no pressure. And because we had that first part where there was no pressure to have a conversation, conversation flowed because you put a bunch of women who already know why you're there you know that the other person's already lost someone. So your conversation to start is already there. And we had name tags with mom off and then the child's name. So you knew what the other person's child's name. And I feel like hearing Sophia's name as many times as I did on that day hit home for me more than anybody. And someone said to me, I have not heard somebody say my child's name for ages now. And so that icebreaker moment, but we also wanted to pull away and talk about the importance of the support that's available in the community, the people who have had a loss to speak about their experiences. And we also wanted conversation over food because, you know, food is important to flow more comfortably, which is why we broke it up into those two different parts. We wanted to start small so that we would provide an intimate space for women to be comfortable. We were conscious that something larger would get away from us and not serve the purpose of letting relationships be built, especially for someone who would not have previously had the opportunity to speak about their loss. I want to say that it was for the betterment of the community, but I think on our part, it was probably in memory of our children. So it was selfish on our part. But also I think the main reason why we really wanted to do this was Naveen and I have built such a great friendship over this. I don't like the idea of other mothers going through this journey alone. We wanted people to have a similar friendship to what we've now got. We wanted there to be a safe space where people could build genuine friendships. I think you put on such an incredible event with the support of, you know, Community Care Kitchen and the culinary school lent their facilities and it was such a it's such a world-class sort of space to bring together women to, you know, cake decorate and then also have chit-chat over a bit of a brunch talking about their their angels. You know, Ibru, Naveen, it has been an incredible time chatting to both of you and you've both been exceptionally generous in sharing your stories of Sophia and Alia. Thank you so much for having us and giving us the opportunity to speak about our girls. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stillness Podcast. Some of the topics raised in this show can be difficult. If it has left you with any questions, please message me on Instagram at thestillnest.au. Please subscribe, share, rate and review this podcast. It means so much to be able to share these stories. This podcast is produced, edited and recorded by Corey Green of Transducer Audio. And now... 
I'll leave you with a little prayer. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa li khayran minha. We belong to Allah and to him we shall return. O Allah, recompense me for my affliction and give me something better. Take care.